Welcome, welcome, welcome to another exciting episode of Nuclear Knowledge, a weekly show of the National Institute of Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you think deterrence. I'm your host, Jim Petrosky, and today's show is a follow-up from my previous broadcast about the differences between conventional and nuclear weapons. If you didn't listen, and shame on you if you didn't, uh, you can go back and listen to Season 1, Episode 2, and while you're there, listen to all of the shows of Nuclear Knowledge on our webpage at thinkdeterrence.com. In Episode 2, I discuss the differences between conventional and nuclear explosions from the standpoint of the military characteristics and effects. Today, I address the same topic, but now from the standpoint of the fuel. As a disclaimer, details of chemistry and nuclear physics are far beyond the scope and time of this show, so I'll provide enough detail to understand this topic. So let's get started. Have you ever wondered why nuclear explosive weapons were not invented before conventional explosive weapons and instead waited till the 20th century? I know, that's a dumb question, but if you think about warfare and the desire of humans to force their way on others, you would think that building nuclear weapons would have been the first order of business for the Huns or the Romans, right? Well, aside from my cheeky intro, it may seem obvious, but when it comes down to it, it may not be something you've carefully considered. And there is value in looking deeper into this subject. In short, it has all to do with the fuel and getting the energy out through the technology. As before, I begin, uh, and I need to define some terms, or the entire discussion will unravel in the many minor details, as it always does when I talk. Conventional weapons are typically defined as those weapons that produce damage from a kinetic, incendiary, or explosive energy. For example, a crossbow is a conventional weapon that produces damage using a kinetic projectile called a bolt. The crossbow basically stores energy in the bow, which is converted to kinetic energy in the bolt when fired. Whew. I'll tell you, that's a mouthful of scientific jargon, and luckily, we're going to discuss simpler stuff like chemistry and nuclear physics. Conventional weapons are separated from other classes of weapons, primarily the weapons of mass destruction, or WMDs. WMDs are considered different, and this is a debatable point, because their potential to cause great amounts of harm to people and structures. The WMDs are primarily nuclear, chemical, and biological, and sometimes include radiological and high explosive. Again, a debatable categorization. For this discussion, and the discussion that follows here, the focus will be on explosions using energy produced from a chemical reaction only, conventional explosions, and explosions produced using nuclear energy or nuclear explosions. And to make my points even easier, I will further restrict the discussion to black powder, the chemical, or more often referred to as gunpowder, and uranium as the fuels. So to get back to my original question, why were nuclear explosions not invented first? Well, let's first look at the conventional explosives. And they get their energy from chemical reactions, which come from the reordering of elements in the fuel changing the electron configuration. In other words, when a gunpowder was discovered in China more than a thousand years or so ago, charcoal, sulfur, and potassium nitrate were mixed, and when it was put to a flame or struck hard, it resulted in a very fast burn. If the powder was confined, as in a bomb casing or a grenade, the energy would build quickly 
and results in an explosion. However, the key point here is an explosion can be made from ingredients easily found in nature. Charcoal from burned wood, sulfur from distilled uh, pyrite and rocks, and saltpeter from manure. The mixing process is important, but doable for a person who does, doesn't mind putting manure into her mixer. If you recall the previous crossbow description, the simple explosion process is, the, is much the same. Energy is stored in the arrangement of the electrons and the molecules in the sulfur and charcoal and saltpeter, and the energy is then released and the explosion results in kinetic motion called an explosion. Now, I'm certain the Chinese inventors never thought it in those terms, but they did make it work. I have no earthly idea as to why they mixed charcoal, sulfur, and saltpeter. Perhaps they're making coffee. Hmm, don't know. Now on to nuclear explosions. This may be a shock, but nuclear fuel, uranium, is also found in abundance in nature, associated with many ores and in deposits around the globe. And fundamentally, the basic explosion process is the same for nuclear explosions. Energy stored in the uranium nucleus is released on a short time scale. Remember, listen to season one, episode two, and nuclear knowledge for a little more detail on that resulting in kinetic motion and other effects. However, the energy in the uranium nucleus is millions of times larger than in the electrons around the molecules, and that is why nuclear explosions can be made very large. And this is where the two explosive fuels are very different. To produce a nuclear explosion, the natural uranium must be separated based upon very, very small differences in each atom's weight. This process requires a very complex understanding of, of the nucleus and a bit of quantum mechanics and could not be stumbled upon while making a few, few flavorful coffees, at least in my interpretation. Furthermore, the separation process takes an enormous amount of energy and time, requiring an, a, an incredible industrial base, a scientific workforce, production facilities, and material processing produce even the smallest amount of usable fuel. This is just to obtain the fuel and not even touching on the needed design, testing, and fielding of any weapon itself. This is one key difference to the conventional nuclear weapons from a fuel standpoint. So you may ask, well, how is this related to deterrence? For starters, a best way to deter an adversary from nuclear weapon use is to ensure that they do not possess them. Since the fuel development hurdle is large, much non-proliferation is centered on fuel development. Simply put, it is difficult to conduct covertly and can be affected externally through policies and diplomacy related to technology, materials handling, education, etc. Secondly, any state wishing to start a program must be highly invested in time and money in the process. So if deterrence is the threat of action to change the action of another, it becomes a lucrative loss to a state building a nuclear program. Before I end, I highlight that both nuclear and conventional explosive weapons are important to our overall national deterrence strategy. For example, conventional weapons, especially when precision delivered, provide a surgical stripe capability with less collateral damage and fewer international consequences than with nuclear weapons. It thus allows for a scaled deterrence strategy not always afforded with nuclear weapons. It is our goal that this episode will leave you thinking how deterrence is achieved through both types of explosives, and we will discuss it in later shows 
as we look at the deterrent strategies applied to them. Thank you for listening to today's Nuclear Knowledge Show. I hope you learned something new and value about deterrence. This podcast is produced weekly and each show is released on Monday. If you enjoyed this show, check out our other podcast, The Nuclear View. You can catch it and all our podcasts at thinkdeterrence.com. I thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative nuclear knowledge. Bye-bye.